from Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Music City, this is The Safety Exchange. Where we exchange ideas for businesses on common sense loss control and risk management. So you can focus on what matters most. I'm Larissa Featherstone, CEO of Johnston & Associates and AccuSure Claim Services. And I'm Justin Gray, Director of Loss Control for Johnston & Associates. And this is The Safety Exchange. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back, everyone, to the Safety Exchange. One of everybody's favorite topics when it comes to insurance is fraud. We all have heard of the case where the private investigator is able to bust open the problem claim and prove that someone is lying. However, today's guest, he's an expert in fraud. He uh, has a law degree from the University of Pittsburgh and owns Titan Investigative Alliance. He's been a private investigator for over 20 years. Please welcome Phil Mastromico. Thanks for being on, man. I know it's uh, not a problem. It's something new for you doing it like this, so we appreciate it. Hey, what else is there to do on a Friday morning during uh, quarantine? Is it, uh, how's the weather up there? It's been raining here for like a week. It's a little rainy here today. Only probably going to be high in the upper 60s. Pretty cool up here for this time of year. Yeah. And you're in Baltimore, right? Yes. Outside of Baltimore, Columbia, Maryland. Gotcha. Is everything still locked down in Maryland right now, or are things starting to reopen? Depends which county you live in. Uh, the governor opened everything up to go to phase one last Friday, but a lot of the counties in Baltimore City uh, have said no, and we're not ready yet. That sounds similar here in Nashville. Certain counties are actually in phase two, but then we have the more metropolitan areas are in phase one. They may move to phase two. So it, it's definitely a mixed bag depending on where you are. Yeah, to be Should, honest, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the phases are. I don't, I don't know what they consist of. Yeah. You said you're in Columbia, Maryland. I've, I've been up there last year to a uh, concert venue called okay. the Meriwether Post yep. Pavilion. Meriwether Post Pavilion. It's about not even 10 minutes, not even five, 10 minutes from our office. Yep. Went up there last year. It's an awesome venue. Justin's favorite topic, music. <laughs> Big jam band fan. Fish. Is that who you want to see, Fish? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember when they were here. Yeah, they have a street actually named by them after them there at, at the near near the venue. Everybody listening to this podcast will see that there's a common theme, fish. Yes. <laughs> I've managed to insert it almost in every podcast we've done. So we should call it the safety exchange with fish. <laughs> yeah. That'll be it though. We have a pretty interesting background. Um, you have a background in you know, criminal law. You went to law school. Yep. Um, what kind of talk to us about what made you get into what you're doing now? Honestly, it, it was a fluke. Um, my last year of law school, the FBI came to speak to the entire class. I guess they were recruiting. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And while I was thinking about it, I had a friend in law school that said, you know, I have a cousin who works as a private investigator. Now, honestly, I never even thought of private investigating as a profession. I didn't even know what it really was. I mean, other than what you see on TV with Magnum PI and Simon and Simon and those shows, which is nothing what we do. So I figured, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I went and interviewed with a local Pittsburgh uh, company, uh, well, their office in Pittsburgh, and was told that I was overqualified. <laughs> so, okay, well, let me give it a shot. And uh, Anthony, my 
cousin slash business partner was living here in Maryland. So I came down to visit him. We grabbed a phone book because back in those days, that's how you had to get phone numbers. Opened it up, started just calling one after another after another. Had one guy just say, oh, come on down, drop off a resume. So we dropped a resume off to him. We put on our suits and went down and dropped our resume off. Within like a couple of weeks to a month, he gave me a call and said, hey, I'm interested in hiring you. And in the early days, I mean, we were doing anything that we had to to get by. I mean, we were working unarmed security, armed security, doing domestic private investigations, doing some insurance fraud. I mean, if we had two, three cases of insurance fraud cases at one time, things were booming back in those days. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I got started. Once I started doing PI work, the think, thoughts of going to the FBI just kind of just disappeared. Because yeah, working as a PI, when you're out there on your own, there's a lot of freedom. You do what you do. You do what you have to do. Do what you want to do to get the, do the best quality work. You really don't. I mean, I had a, a quote unquote boss, but he wasn't like calling me every hour and asking me, what am I doing? Where am I doing it? How am I doing it? So there's a lot of freedom. And it was fun. It is fun. I mean, I don't get to go out there anymore. I'm stuck here in all of this, but just being out there doing surveillance, I mean, I, there was no, there's nothing like it. So you have to have, so what motivated you, it sounds like, is that the first company turned you down and that spurred in it the desire to keep going? Is that, or to find a job? Yeah, I, w- I was going to try and find a PI job somewhere and give it a try. Actually, ironically, Anthony applied with the same company in out of their Maryland office, north of Baltimore. And they never hired him either. (laughs) 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 He he and I, he and I went to work for a a retired uh, local County cop who just started his business, started working PI cases, started building up more and more clientele. Anthony, I took the company over back in 2000 from, from that gentleman. Um, and honestly, we never looked back. We, we, we kept his name for a while because of name recognition. But in 2006, we joined up with a person we knew in Virginia and started a Titan Investigative Alliance. And I mean, we're 2006, we're going on year, uh, finishing up year, we're going on year 14 this July 1st. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you talked about how it's interesting and you kind of get your own time out there. I'm sure you've got some great stories. What's in the early days, and I know you've been doing it for a long time now, what was kind of, was there the case that you were able to do surveillance on that kind of sealed the deal for you? That Sometimes it's hard to know from the client what is a good case. We had, a, we had one case where we went on a Saturday morning. We followed a guy around to a couple of uh, um, yard sales. He wasn't doing much. He got out. He would walk over. He was with his girlfriend. He bent over at the waist and was looking at something, moving some articles around on the ground, stood back up and walked off. It wasn't long before we lost sight of him. And the only video we had was him at this one yard sale. We went to court with it. Our attorney even thought, wow, this was a real loser. And we got into the uh, elevator with the commissioner who was ruling on the, on the, on the uh, claim. And he made a, he made a comment uh, I won't repeat what he said, but he made a comment that I'm thinking, you know what? He's saying, 
I'm, I'm getting that this was a very good, good case for him. Well, it turned out the claimant was saying that he couldn't even bend down far enough to even put on his shoes or tie his shoes. And our video is showing him bending at the waist, moving stuff around on the ground easily. So something, something as minuscule as that can really make a big difference for, for the insurance company as far as a claim. So are you not told what to look for or, or is it, or is oh, that on are. purpose maybe to the no, no bias are. or? No, we are. We are. Um, obviously, you want to focus on what the injury is. I mean, you don't want to, if it's a hand injury, you're not going to tell the, you get all excited with your client going, hey, he was bending over at the waist up and down. Well, that's fine because he has a left hand injury. He can probably do that. That's, that's one of the questions we, we, we ask and one of the bits of information we kind of require from, the, from our clients is what is the injury? And yeah, we, we do go with them. What are you looking for? Because some clients, the, the, the claimant is actually back to work, but maybe he's late duty. So obviously following him to work and saying, hey, he's at work. They're like, well, yeah, we know that. We might go back at him on the weekend and see what he can actually physically do with, with his injured body part. So you brought up a good thing, and, and I found similar to what you said about you can't always tell from the injury or even the video what makes a good case. And I've had surveillance on claims that I thought was incredible surveillance that didn't end up amounting to anything. And then I've had some similar to what you said that, you know, I thought it was okay and it ended up making a huge difference. Do you have kind of the things that help? I mean, I know no cases of, oh yeah, we're going to really get this guy, but what are, I guess, the signs you look for as a potential case that really you think you have some potential of, of working on, or do you always feel like you're going out there and it could be a little bit of a crapshoot? Yeah, honestly, it is. It, it it really depends on what, well, here in Maryland, when we go to a hearing, it's not a, a hearing where, uh, where we're listed as a, as a witness. So the claimant's attorney and the claimant have no idea we're there. We're primarily there to, I guess, if the claimant were to say something on under oath, we would be there to, to contradict it if we have something that says that he can do something otherwise. Um, basically, just an impeachment test testimony is kind of what they call it. Are you ever a witness in court for the cases? Not lately, because I don't go out on the cases. But when I was, we were called in um, the hearings constantly, all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We we like I was saying, Maryland. They call they they'll have a docket, so they might have five to twenty claimants hearings being heard in one day. And they call one up after another. So it's kind of funny because you want your case to be called sooner because you're trying to blend in in the back of the room of all the people in the room. But as one case after another gets called and you're sitting back there by yourself and the claimant's attorney turns around and, and looks at you and he goes, all right, that guy's here for some reason. And back in the day when we had to go, we had to bring a little TV VCR set and they have the VHS tape <laughs> and it's kind of hard to like walk around and have this stuff without, without being noticed and people knowing who you are. What, uh, I'm curious, and, and this will probably tell you how much I know about what you do, but what, uh, legalities protect you, I guess, while you're doing the job? I mean, do you have, say if they, say if you're made, do you have like a badge or something? You can say, yeah, I am a private investigator. I can legally do this. Yeah. Well, I'm, badges. No, not from, at least not, uh, given from the state. We have, uh, IDs. Okay. From Toledo, Maryland, um, state police handles all licensing, so they provide us with identification cards, our picture, and information on it. So, if a police officer ever came, I've never 
once ever had a problem with a police officer. Okay. Because, I mean, we've been noticed. Police have been called on us. Neighbors have called police on us because they get suspicious. So, I mean, we, we've probably spoken to police officers a heck of a lot more times than most people have in their lives. Yeah. We've never had an issue. I mean, a police officer might say, hey, you might just want to get out of here because there's some neighbors or the person's kind of heated. So, and I mean, we've never gotten any type of confrontation or conflict with a police officer. So have you ever had confrontation with the people you're watching coming, trying to confront you or? Trying to, yeah. They'll chase you. Certain people have certain reactions. Uh, one person might notice you finally because they're like, yeah, oh, that's that same vehicle that's been following me all day. I, I, they just might have finally noticed you at the end of the day. They walk in their house. Next thing they come walking back out with either the neck brace on or they come walking out with a cane and they start walking around with a cane. Other people get a little agitated. They'll jump in their car and they'll chase after you. I've, we've, I've had people follow me for several miles. My thing was, I just drive away. I just keep driving until they get tired. I don't speed. I don't try and elude them. I just, you get on a highway and you just drive. Eventually they'll get tired. Yeah. I was telling Justin, uh, when we were talking about this podcast ahead of time that we had a, a tape one time where a guy was mowing his grass, you know, some good footage. And obviously he catches the eye of the, and then he grabbed his back and laid out on the ground <laughs> extremely dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> it was very entertaining. So I know there's always, you know, you've got a back injury. You're looking for somebody who's lifting outside of what they actually do. But I know over my career, and I haven't seen near as much as you have um, in this realm, I've had some really funny tapes of people who've done something really extreme outside of kind of their restrictions. It's not just picking up a box. It's something kind of really out there or do you have any funny stories along that line? I would think you've got all the stories at a party that could keep people entertained for a while. Well, some of our favorite stories are when people actually go to medical appointments. Um, I had a girl one time, young female, um, living in a middle row uh, townhouse and watching her come in and out. And she was moving pretty fast, walking pretty fast, jogging down the steps, running out to the car, running back in, running back out to the car, running back in. She finally comes out with her boyfriend driving. They leave and they go to her appointment. Well, they pull into a parking spot and I see her at the trunk of her vehicle. And I'm like, what is she doing? She's wrapping something around her. It was the big back brace. She was wrapping around and around her back, pulled a cane out of the back of the car, then walked like, not to, uh, uh, no, not to offend the elderly, but walked like an elderly person from her car all the way to the uh, uh, doctor's office. I was told by the adjuster that the nurse case manager was in there and said that she, the claimant was crying the whole time she was in there about how bad she was hurt. She came back out. She actually only walked to the just outside the exit. Her boyfriend brought the car around and she got in very slowly, then literally drove around the corner to the gas station where she jumped out, ran in to grab some sodas for her and her boyfriend, ran back to the car. Perfectly fine. <laughs> That's great. You mentioned earlier the types of investigation that you do, and you said domestic, and I would, I would assume that's probably the scorn lover type thing. We used to do that way back in the day. Um, yeah. I would actually do them myself. Myself, uh, Anthony would do some. Uh, another investigator, Bobby, that's been with us since 2001, he and I would do most of them. But it got to a point, once we started doing more and more insurance fraud, it's really hard to do both. And I, I, I prefer to do them myself because... 
a domestic case, you're, you're dealing with real people's lives. You're not, it, yeah. If a claimant notices you, the most they're going to do is call the adjuster and start complaining or yelling at them. You never want like a angry husband noticing you following him, but then him going home to his uh, wife and something, some kind of something happened there. So once Bobby and I couldn't do them ourselves, we just kind of said, you know what, we'll leave that to, to other people that do it. And we're going to just stick with insurance fraud, but they are fun. Yeah. I mean, not to be rude. I mean, these are people, but, but they're, they're more interesting. Put it that way. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Are you armed when you do those? No, no. Um, no. no, I figure when, if there's ever an altercation, my SUV probably would hurt a lot more if I had to, <laughs> if I had yeah. to hit somebody and run away uh, than try and shoot them. Yep. But no, I, yep. I, I, I don't carry a weapon. So the domestic ones, um, you said, I would imagine those would be are they more fun? Do you, do you have a higher hit ratio, you think, on domestic or insurance? When we did domestics, probably more on domestics because once someone came to us and was going to spend money to have their uh, spouse followed, they had a lot of the information already. It's just that their attorney told them, okay, you need to get an unbiased third party to document this and get it on video and whatever else. So a lot of times we would everything would be laid out for us and we would do it. We would bring in the client and we'd sit them down and we'd go over a game plan. This is exactly what we're doing when we're doing it. Cause sometimes they had children, they were separated. So we knew that a spouse was going to drop off the children on Friday. And then they had the whole weekend to do what they wanted. And we would pick them up there and follow them from there and, and document whatever they did. So a lot of times the domestics were a matter of, we know what we're going to get. We just need to, to document it. That makes sense. I mean, on insurance claims, a lot of times if they meet certain red flags, you may do a couple of hours of surveillance to check it out. But I guess to spend your actual cash on surveillance on your husband or wife, you know, you got to be pretty sure at that yeah. point. Yeah. Even even with insurance, uh, people always said, well, you know, do most people are most people out there cheating or faking injuries? And I'm like, once it gets to our desk, and it's assigned to us, the adjuster has a strong feeling there's something wrong going on. Adjusters just don't investigate people just to investigate them. They don't just spend money that way. But if there's, like we talked, like you mentioned the red flags, if there's red flags, they're like, okay, this person needs to be looked into. Well, I know in our office, we talk a lot about most injuries are legitimate and you can kind of tell handling the claims people are getting right better according to regular schedules and their signs that they are wanting to get back to work and are participating in the healing process. So I think you're right. I mean, you know, I think possibly the entire world thinks you put surveillance on every claim, but it's actually extremely small portion of the claims have surveillance assigned to them. So what are the red flags? I mean, I know we have fraud classes for all of our adjusters and we talk about red flags, but what are the ones you see as the ones that are most indicative that possibly doing surveillance would be a good idea? There, there are lists and lists of red flags for adjusters for all different different uh, areas. But as far as doing surveillance on an injured worker, I mean, some of the basics are like the injury was reported on Monday that they got injured on Friday. And you're like, okay, what were they doing all weekend that all of a sudden they decided to report the injury Monday when, or reported on Monday when they claim it happened Friday. Uh, another thing is, was there any witnesses? Did another another worker see it actually happen? Did they tell anybody? Because you know, normally you 
you stub your toe at work, you're going to tell your coworker right then, go, geez, I just stubbed my toe. Some of these people don't tell anybody. And you ask all the other coworkers like, no, he didn't, he didn't mention anything about getting injured on Friday. So those things are red flags. Sometimes they, they may get an attorney right away. Right. Before, before they even, and before they even tell you about the injury or they'll just report the injury. And next thing you know, you're the, the justice is getting a call from an attorney trying to settle it. Or sometimes they're calling like daily for their uh, settlement. Like I need my money. And right. that usually <laughs> means that there's a reason why they're, they're, they're yeah. doing this, that there's an underlying reason they, they actually need the money. And a lot of times when people, especially right now, people are being laid off. All of a sudden, they remember an injury they, that occurred right before they got laid off, and then they file a work comp claim. Sure. In the course of surveilling someone, do you ever, is it, is it literally just surveilling them, or do you ever actually talking to their coworkers or, or interviewing other people about them? Um, mo- well, surveillance, you really don't talk to other people because you're, right. you're doing surveillance. But we do, when we have to do uh, witness interviews, we do, we'll go out and, and and interview the coworkers, see what they saw, see what they know. That's not as, we don't do that as much, but yeah, you don't, we might do a neighborhood canvas once in a while and just ask some neighbors about a certain claimant. Maybe they have some insight on their activities. Maybe they see them out mowing the grass all the time or car, washing their car or things like that. One thing you, were, you had mentioned about some people are legitimately injured. That's one of the, another thing. If, the injury does not match the time off or, or the physical therapy that they're getting. Um, another funny story. We had a gentleman that Anthony and I worked the case together and we're sitting on surveillance. It was an older male living with his parents. And we're thinking, we're not going to see anything with this guy. Sure enough, he comes walking out probably just before 11 o'clock Two ankle and both ankles are injured. Remind you, he, he, he had a legitimate claim. He broke both ankles jumping off a platform at work. Oh. And both of ankle, his ankles were broken. So he had a legitimate injury. But we get him, he walks probably about three quarters of a mile to a local liquor store. Goes in, buys something, comes out with something in a brown paper bag. And is out there drinking out of the brown paper bag. Some other friends join him. They go around the side of the building. One day we got him shooting craps off the off the curb on the side of <laughs> inside of the, um, the a shopping center now mind you when you're squatting down to pick up the dice and squatting back up that puts a lot of strain on your ankles yeah yeah it does uh, another day we got him back just back there passing around they were smoking something i i can't tell you what it was but they were all sharing it passing it around to each other another time he bought some alcohol for some underage minors we got it all on video too that's it it's interesting when you get stuff like that, you know, that it actually does happen out there. Well, he shows up to court and he had a walker, not just a cane, <laughs> but a walker. And he's walking in real slow. And I actually felt bad for his, his attorney because his attorney had no idea what was going on. And when his attorney saw the video, his face, his face turned white. I mean, I've seen him around in, at, at the time at other hearings, and he seemed like a decent guy. And I think he thought, well, okay, this guy has a legitimate claim. He got two broken ankles. But once he saw the video, he just shook his head. And the claimant just kind of shrugged his shoulders, shook his head. And, and the expression on his face was, well, I tried. <laughs> I yeah. gave it a try. <laughs> That's like uh, Frank Gallagher from Shameless. Yeah. So you brought up, sometimes you catch people doing other kind of illegal or uh, different things and really what's related to the case. 
you have any other funny stories along that line? Uh, well, one time we did catch something. It was a, a domestic. Uh, it was no, it was an insurance fraud case, but we caught the person going meeting us a significant other in a, a parking lot. And I think these are the things they don't want shown in in a hearing, especially if there are uh, spouses there with them. I would say it probably helped settle the case to some degree. We had a similar case years ago. It's probably been 20 years ago that um, some surveillance was done in addition to activities of that were against restrictions and all, you know, met someone other than their husband for a romantic date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I think everybody, when you get a new case, I, you said a few minutes ago, you thought, oh, this one we might not get anything on. And I know there's always the cases I, I can think of the very first case I sent off for surveillance because, you know, it met certain criteria, but I really believe the guy. But and then we found out he was completely lying to us. Um, his attorney, everybody was shocked. It was a very legitimate bad accident, but similar to what you just talked about. You know, what are the what's the information that companies can give you that helps set the case up as in the best possible way for you to do surveillance? I mean, what what information about the individual is helpful? Um, first and foremost is accurate um, address. You, I don't know when, when you all were hired, but you might have been hired 10 years ago and you filled out your application, you gave the information, and that's what they have in your file. 10 years later, you've moved like three times since then, and you're living totally somewhere else, but sometimes HR might have the original information. We do our, our own comprehensive reports anyway to try and find the most uh, up-to-date address, but pictures is another big one. We can find people on Facebook and on, on social media to try and get some identification photos. But a lot of places, I mean, we hire someone, we take a copy, a photocopy of their driver's license. So we always have a picture photo. Um, that, that is key also from the client. And what we talked about before is injury. Occasionally, a client will give us a case and not tell us the injury. Well, that, as we said before, that, that is important to, to know. So we, we know what to focus on. And also, well, budget is also important, but any type of identifying information, because if they can talk to other employees, what the the claimant now looks like as far as hair, size, weight, people, people change over time. I mean, I'm sure when Justin was first hired, he had a full head of hair. <laughs> uh, no, nah, he's been no. bald the whole time I've ever known him. <laughs> the military took that from me. Okay. <laughs> um, and sometimes we'll do, we'll request appointment dates to identify people because it is important to see how people present before and after an appointment. Just like the, the example I gave with the girl running in out of her house, then showing up with a back brace and crying inside the appointment, then running around afterwards. It, it's important to see how, like some adjusters think, well, you know, they're, they're not going to do anything because they're going to the doctor and they're going to go in there and, and pretend like they're hurt. Well, that's not how they're going to act getting there. And it's not how they're going to act once they leave there. Well, and I would imagine in a lot of ways, that's kind of a key time to follow them because you've got then documentation of what they went in and told the doctor that day of how they were feeling. So it'd be hard for them to say, oh, well, that was a good day or that was a bad day or if it's completely different. Yeah, I totally agree. That That's usually one of our favorite times to do surveillance because you're going to see them, you're going to follow them. And that's, that's what you're out there to do. I mean, you want to actually see claimants. So percentage wise, I know we've had some people we've done surveillance on and nobody can ever, ever find them. They don't ever, it seems like come out of their house, that type thing. How how many times do you have the case where 
you really can't track somebody down. They're really not out there doing something. Do you have kind of track and maybe, maybe you don't, I've never actually done this within our own office, but you know, how often you're able to, to catch someone or at least see them or does that happen where you don't find them at all? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it happens I mean, more often than we'd like, but you do have transient people who they might've been living with a friend. They might've been living with a relative and now they're living with a girlfriend elsewhere that you don't have any information on and just trying to locate them. That That's why appointments, even depositions, any place where you can pinpoint where the claimant is going to be at a specific time is important because we've had cases where we've gone to the provided address and over several days of surveillance, never see the person. So we get an appointment, we locate them there, and we end up following them to a totally different address. Maybe it was a girlfriend's or a new place that they're living. Then we conduct surveillance after that, and we end up getting a lot of activity from, from that point on because, like I said, most current addresses is probably one of the most important things that we need to locate somebody. I would imagine it's it's probably, and maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but I would imagine it's easier to do your job in a city-type environment where it's busy. And I just, I think of a guy living out, you know, in the woods somewhere. I'd imagine that would be difficult. They are. You have three, you have in the city, which is, can be difficult in itself because lights everywhere, trying to follow somebody. And a lot of people walk. So trying to follow, and you're in a surveillance vehicle and they're walking down the road, you got to creep, stop, creep, stop. Uh, makes it difficult. Suburban areas are probably the best where you can kind of blend in. You have plenty of roads with not a lot of stoplights, but enough traffic. You can blend with traffic. Yeah. The country boy up in the middle of nowhere, that that's a tough one, especially yep. when they live up a hill and it dead ends. <laughs> and they're the only house. Yeah. And you can hear deliverance music. Yeah, you're creeping up there all the way up to the top just to see if you can see that their vehicle's there. Then you got to creep all the way back down again. So you do obviously a lot of in-person. It's you out there or your investigators out there doing the surveillance. Do y'all ever use some of the remote cameras? We've heard of companies doing that or any, is there new types of surveillance that have changed over the 20 years that you've done this? Is it changed dramatically or is the old-fashioned way the you know following the guy is that still the most successful yeah we're old-fashioned camera vehicle follow follow and videotape that's what we do we don't do drones i i, I don't know of any companies that do like the overhead flying drones i mean we, we mm -hmm. don't even want to mess with that not even sure of all the legalities of it uh, some companies will use a remote vehicle and have it just sitting stationary and just videotaping 24, 48 hours, which, I mean, I could see the, the benefit of that. You can get an idea when someone's coming and going. Other companies have remote cameras where they put it in like a log or a rock or something and leave it sitting on the side of the road. We, we've thought about that. We've never really ventured into it. We've, we've just stuck with what we know. We do do a lot of social media. Um, it's called, uh, our program is called the Gotcha Program called gotchas it's a uh, deep internet mining it's not just social media it's deep internet mining to try and find anything out on the web that uh, about a person we do a lot of those for for law firms it's been interesting that's really kind of changed to me that's been the biggest change in surveillance is how much you can get on social media and things like that it, it always shocks me how much people actually stick out there yeah <laughs> If someone has a private account, can you even look into those or I don't know no. how that works. 
No, we can only look to see what's visible to the public. We don't friend claimants under a false pretense and and, <laughs> you know, I didn't and think get in, going through the back door and then find out all their information. Now, whatever is visible. I may or may not have tried to do that with my kids one time. <laughs> private accounts. You can do that. That's perfectly fine. But we won't. We won't. <laughs> We'll, we'll do that. If you want us to friend your kids under a pretense, we'll do that just for you. Though. But, um, no, we, we, we don't. Whatever is, is available out on the, on the public internet, we'll search for. It's just a matter of finding it because stuff can be on page five, six, or seven when you're, when you're Googling somebody. It's amazing what, what is out there on the internet about a person, even yourself. When you get on Google and look, it's, it's crazy what you can. Yeah. Have you ever Googled yourself? It's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, I've Googled myself, and I think my uncle by the same name pops up more than I do. I'm not on yeah. any. I'm not on any social medias. Smart man. <laughs> yeah, that's because he follows people. He knows yep. that people can find him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, this guy looks. Yep, that's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how. That's sometimes how we identify claimants. We're like, okay, kind of looks like the claimant. Let me get on. Like, yep, there he is, right there. Oh wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's a tool for you. Yeah. So you uh. You're originally from Pittsburgh? Yep. Are you a Steelers fan? That kind of goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I figured. Did you see that look he gave yeah, you? Just? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like going to Pittsburgh when I travel there. It's it's a cool town, I think. Very blue collar. and, and Yes, it um, is. I enjoy the food there as well. I, I, I'm Italian. Do you want to ask me if I'm Catholic? Oh, I... Hey, my wife is half Italian and she's Catholic, so. <laughs> right. Go, I already, know, I already know the answer to that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're definitely a uh, blue-collar town. We, we uh, Anthony and I grew up in a, we went to Hopewell Township uh, High School. We grew up, the town's called Aliquippa. And it's a was a big steel town back in the day. My dad worked in there, in the mill for about 35, 40 years before he finally retired. I actually worked down there one summer with them just to see what it was like. It was a, they finally um, lifted the program where employees could bring their children for the summer for a, a just summer employment. And it's a hot, hot thing down there in the mill in the summer. Yeah. I'm sure that influenced you to go to college and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Figure out, <laughs> figure out something different to do. Yeah. That, that stuff is fun when you're in your early twenties cause it's yep. physical labor and you're like, Oh, yep. this is great. But, I couldn't imagine doing it now. Yep. So you work with your cousin, Anthony. It sounds like y'all have been close your whole lives. Pretty much. We went to, we're only eight, eight months apart. He's older and he looks it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I think I look older. We went to grade school together, middle school, high school, went to college together. He moved down to Baltimore for grad school. I stayed uh, in Pitt for, for law school. Then I moved down here with him. My first job was at the local grocery store when I was just turning 16 that he got me a job there because he was already working there. He and I worked together at the Holiday Inn Banquet Department at, uh, at Pitt when we were there. We had our own little side job in high school in Woodshop where we, were, we would cut out people's names and, and sell it to them per, per, per letter. So yeah, we, we, we've been together for a long time. Cool, cool. I got to ask one question and it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. But uh, I'm sure. Did you ever watch The Wire? No. No. <laughs> no? That's, That's well. I'm going to ask because you live close to Baltimore. I was just curious if it's if it's really like that in Baltimore. People in tell parts. me that it is. People yeah. tell me that it is, and and places we've done surveillance. Yeah, you 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 can definitely see it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. See, when I came down there, they 
Homicide was still uh, a big show, and that was being that was uh, uh, recorded here and in, in, uh, t- taped here in uh, Baltimore. And anytime you have a, uh, a TV show called Homicide based on your city, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it says something. Yeah, I also think Baltimore is a great town too, though. Oh, there's a lot of history in Baltimore. Yep. There's a lot yep. of history. Yep, I like Baltimore. It's a great town. Great town. Uh, so, kind of final thoughts. I mean, Justin, you got any final thoughts for? Yeah, I keep them coming. For Phil? Um, uh, I'm the one asking all the crazy questions, so I, I'll ask. Have you ever been? I know, shot I'm going to leave it to you to ask a, another crazy yeah, question. Yeah. You ever been shot at in the course of your your duties no. or, or chased? No. Chased many times. Shot at? No. One time we did have someone pull a gun. We were we were in Virginia following this guy around. Uh, the guy was only about maybe five four. He had the full beard and ha- reddish hair, and we're thinking, okay, he's he's going to lead us to a pot of gold somewhere. Um, <laughs> and like he lived on a long country road, a lot of lot of long country roads down in Virginia. So we're yep. following around for most of the day, and I think at one point he finally caught on to us. We let him turn up his long road. We drove past, and we're like, okay, let's just go around. Just make sure his car's back at the house. We pulled in. Like I said, he was at the end of the road at a cul-de-sac, so we circled around. Anthony was getting closing video, and all of a sudden, a gentleman walks out on the front front stoop. And at first, I'm like, looks like he's holding a pipe in his uh, in his hand. Next thing, he raised it up across his chest, and it was like a big revolver. <laughs> he didn't point it at us, but he held it up, and we're like. Got to go. Yeah, time and to go. Left and never, never came back. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, I think that's pretty much it. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with us. And it's no, interesting. I, I appreciate hope, it. Hope you enjoyed it. We appreciate you coming on. It was definitely interesting. I always love hearing the surveillance stories. And do you have any final words for people that listening to this? You know, most of, most of the people listening are employers or either insurance professionals. Um uh, one thing I can say is if you have an, any inkling someone is not being 100% with you, have them investigated. No matter who, you don't, you don't have to use us. Use your favorite pri- private investigator. Hopefully that is us, but ha- have it checked out because it could save save you lots of money. Matter of fact, ironically, last week I got we got an email from a from a, a attorney from one of our clients. It said, uh, I'll just read it. It said, Mediation before the commissioner. I believe the final result of 7,500 full and final is a good result. And needless to say, thank goodness for the video. Not sure how I think they were going for 25 to 35,000 and settled for 7,500. So video surveillance does help. Yeah. You know, and one thing that you said at the beginning of this that really rang true to me is, you don't know at the beginning. I mean, we've all had the case that you've thought, eh, I doubt we're going to catch anything. They're probably just sitting inside, not doing anything. And then they're out doing something. And, you know, it's a good investment on those cases with those red flags to see for sure. Uh, it could be significant savings. Yeah. I, I do have one more story along those lines. If you have a minute. Oh, yeah, definitely. Of course. We had a claimant where the adjuster said, you know what? He, he just bought a brand new SUV go check him out and see what he's up to. Like, how, how does he afford that on we're, what we're paying him in, in disability? So we got to the house. It's, it was a very small, modest house, older house. And I'm thinking, he's an older gentleman. He's probably like in his late 50s to 60s at the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they pay, paid off the house. Maybe they were driving really old vehicles and they yeah. finally decided, you know, we're going to treat ourselves, and I mean, husband and wife, we're going to buy one nice SUV. So I'm sitting there thinking, we're not going to get much on this guy. 
early in the morning, it was probably about 7, 7.30, he and his wife come out, get in the vehicle, and they drive up into Baltimore City, into the city. They pull into this parking garage underneath this giant condo complex. Still thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they watch grandchildren, and they come here, watch the grandchildren while the parents go to work. Right. A few minutes later, he comes walking out of the bottom level, street level, walks around the corner, and they open up this sandwich shop they had on the corner under this building. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they've been running the sandwich shop for I don't know how long. Anthony went in there, and the guy showed him the first dollar bill they ever earned sitting up on the wall. Wow. That's so a great... Even, so even when you sit there thinking, like, eh, this guy's probably legit. I mean, like, yeah, why, why, why are you harassing him? And that's why. And adjusters, a lot of them know. They, they've been doing this for a lot of years, and they know the little intricacies of when someone's being honest and someone just something isn't right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that gut feeling. And, you know, sometimes you got it in your gut. But like I said, I had the case, and this was early in my career, that I really believe the guy, we did surveillance more just to make sure we were right. There was a couple little things off, bad trucking accident. And he claimed he lost his eyesight, actually. And we got him giving pitching lessons in his backyard, baseball pitching lessons without his, you know, he was really good for a blind or a partially blind person at pitching a baseball. Let's just put it that way. So, um, well, well, if you saw me pitch, you'd think I was blind. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I really appreciate you coming on, Phil. This has been super interesting. I've always appreciate the surveillance stories. And I know sometimes, you know, people can get frustrated on, you know, when they're not caught, but there's definitely the ones and the success stories. And I think it's somewhat, something to always keep in the forefront of everybody's mind. But Bill's with Titan Investigative Alliance. Thank you so much for joining us today. And just making me. sure I'm right, you've got over 50 investigators in every state kind of east of the Mississippi, except yep. for, I think, Vermont and Maine. Is that correct? Yeah, they're, they're the only two... Uh states that we're not licensed in this side of the Mississippi. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. This has been great. All right. Thanks thank so you. Much. Thanks. Thanks for listening today to The Safety Exchange with myself, Larissa Featherstone, and my co-host, Justin Gray. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And if you would like to be featured on a future podcast or have an idea for a topic, please leave us a comment on our social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at JA underscore safety or on Facebook and LinkedIn at Johnston and Associates. Thanks so much for joining us.